Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. I'm Ariana. And despite my laptop trying to kill itself on Friday, we are still here with the podcast. My laptop had a complete blue screen of death crash on Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. It was quite a Friday the 13th. And uh, thankfully, we found a really good computer repair person here in the Netherlands. And for 54 euros, he was able to get it up and going by Friday evening. He had it done. Yeah. And we picked it up Saturday morning. So that was very nice. We were able to record this podcast. So this is the first of three Halloween-themed podcasts. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the first two films in the Phantasm series. Uh, The residents of a small town have begun dying under strange circumstances, leading young Mike to investigate. After discovering that the tall man, the town's mortician, is killing and reanimating the dead as misshapen zombies, Mike seeks help from his older brother Jody and local ice cream man Reggie. Working together, they try to lure out the and kill tall man, all the while avoiding his minions and a deadly silver sphere. Uh, so this was my second time watching uh, Phantasm, and this was your first time, Ariana. Yeah. So what did you think of Don Coscarelli's Phantasm? It was a film that felt as if the characters had been established for a long time. Mm-hmm. This town had been established for a long time. And the aesthetic had been carefully crafted throughout the years before it was done. It feels a lot of ways a little bit more modern than other horror films. And I all I can recall is that before we started watching it, you looked at me and you went, I don't know what type of horror this is. And I don't know how you're going to take this. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And between the two films, we saw the first one and the second one. Mm-hmm. I just kept rattling different films and I was just like, oh, they must have seen this film. Like, they must have really liked the lighting. Like, the, it follows. I feel like they like the lighting of this film. Um, I, th- like, yeah, I think this film has had a tremendous amount of influence. Yes. Uh, beyond uh, its kind of limited cult status. It's clear that yes. a lot of horror filmmakers or just filmmakers in general that like it. Uh, so, a little bit about Don Coscarelli, because I didn't know much about him. And he's helmed all of the movies except for the last one he produced it but he did not direct it okay interesting uh he also has directed the film the Beastmaster from the 80s okay and bubba hotep i have no idea what that is bubba hotep uh it is bruce campbell okay playing a man in a retirement home uh-huh. who claims that he is the real elvis but nobody believes him and a there's a another guy i think maybe danny glover's a black actor i can't remember what it is and he claims to be the real jfk and says that they did plastic surgery on him and then left him in this nursing home in texas and the two of them realize that the nursing home is being haunted by a mummy that comes to life at night and kills one resident a night and so they have to team up to fight it uh and we had like I've seen it, and it's a very—it's a fun movie. It's not a great movie. Yeah, it feels like a movie that I—I I feel like I have a vague memory of. It, it came out like, like the early mid two thousands. Yeah, it—it yeah. feels like something that was on HBO late at night that I just maybe saw like pieces of, and I was just like, okay, I don't know. 
so Phantasm uh, came from Coscarelli. Uh, well, it turned out he was at the time he was the youngest director to ever have a film released by a studio. He was 19 years old. Oh wow! Not when he made Phantasm. But on his first movie, and Universal Pictures released it. It was an independently made, but then they picked it up for distribution, sort okay. of a thing. So he's only 19 years old. And a lot of his movies from the vibe I got were more kind of like very centered on the perspective of young adolescent boys in small towns and more like family comedy type things. And he had a nightmare where he was running through hallways being chased by this sphere and he said, in the dream, I just knew that it wanted to, like, suck my brain out of my head. Okay. And that was where the idea came from. He also noted that in one of his movies that he made, the audiences really responded well to some jump scares. I guess it had some sort of, like, a spooky plot. Yeah. And he started thinking, like, oh, like, doing a horror movie. That could be fun. Uh, he had worked with a Michael Baldwin, who plays Mike, the kid, mm -hmm. in one of those movies. Uh, he had also worked with Angus Scrim, who plays the tall man, who was, that was, it was in his very first movie. Okay. So, like, he had a working relationship with him. And so he just kind of brought them in to make this movie. Uh, Phantasm, once he kind of fleshed it out, he cites uh, Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes as an influence, which I know you've not seen that movie. It was a Disney movie in the early 80s uh, based on a Bradbury novel. It's about two boys in a small town. The carnival comes to town. But the man running the carnival is some sort of, like, a malevolent demonic figure and nobody believes the boys when they tell them kind of a thing so like the stuff that would have influenced uh, like goosebumps yeah yeah know? uh he was also influenced by invaders from mars which is similar you've seen the remake that toby hooper made where it's the little boy who witnesses the ship crash and the aliens are slowly taking over the people in the town including his own parents yeah i vaguely remember yeah. that uh, and then he was also influenced, and I could tell this watching it this time around, uh, Suspiria yeah. and the Italian Giallo stuff. Yeah. The soundtrack especially had that kind of that goblin sound to it. It's also just following a character that has no idea what's going on, but then also having so much restraint as to not having a moment where we're with the baddies and them explaining it to us. We're constantly like... Everything's this... kept sort of mystified. Yes. Uh, so that's who he was. Uh, I would ask you now having watched, just think about the first film because we'll talk about the second film in the second half of the show. What kind of horror is Phantasm? I, I don't know how to describe it. So, um, one question that I have, so the last film he didn't direct, did he write it? Uh, I don't know. I just know he did not direct it. Okay. So... All I can think is, like, this is a guy who really loves, like... And when you say last film, do you mean Phantasm 2 or the final film in the okay. series? The final film in the series, yeah, he did not direct it. I don't know about writing. Okay. Um, it feels like a type of person that really liked uh, rock music that had, like, an opera kind of setting. You know, like, when they have... Nerdy like, kind like, of rock. Nerdy yeah. nerdy rock like queen like, kind of stuff yeah, yeah like it's supposed to be like they're on this epic quest kind of thing and yeah. like you never really get like the full story you're just like just going into it with the feel of it and like because at first it was kind of like are these guys playing cool but afterwards they kind of are kind of cool but they're like not <laughs> they're kind of like especially reggie reggie 
everything about Reggie is not Reggie cool, is like a, but he ends up becoming cool yeah, in a weird way. Reggie, like for the terms of now and like also like the early like the early aughts and like the nineties would have been like a screaming red flag, right? With the ponytail and like owning a an ice cream shop. Oh yeah, it's the truck. truck. Yeah. And like it's also like this I find it very interesting. Like they barely mention him like with the ice cream. They just show him with it. Show it. Like because I think it's supposed to emphasize this is just his job. It's not something that he's like being like this is gonna make me a ton of money made. Pays his bills. Yeah, it pays his bills. Um I think what was interesting was as you start watching the film, you do realize that the kid playing Mike has a lot of chemistry and feels a lot more secure on camera versus his brother, which I forgot already forgot. Jody. Jody. Jody feels a little clunky, but he's obviously like that pretty boy that can play guitar kind of thing. It was they cast him because he looks like the hero of a movie. Yes. And so what I liked about the whole thing is because Mike is a loner, it makes it feel more authentic and it makes it feel more realistic when Jody's kind of like, you're not well. (laughs) And there's never a moment where he says that his brother's crazy. He's just kind of like, you need to stop following me around. You need to, we need to get you some structure in your life. And that's not me. Um, Because it's supposed to be like his parents had died. Uh, Now we had encountered the fact that like. The movie opens with one of uh, Jody and Reggie's friends getting killed in the cemetery. And that they think that he had committed suicide. And so they didn't, they were just like, well, we didn't invite Mike to the funeral because he was already like, he winged out when the parents died. So it just, you know, it won't be good. Only to find out that Mike is on his little, like, dirt bike. <laughs> like, following Brings around. binoculars yeah. to the funeral, yeah. Also the touch that he stole the binoculars from his brother, which is part of the story. I think it's just, it's one of those films that thankfully doesn't have any quick-witted words after someone gets hit or hurt it's not quippy no and i think it's good for it because and like especially there aren't any moments where you feel like the characters are really really like terrified and having to cover their mouths because they're so scared while they're investigating because when they go to investigate they're kind of like all right we're gonna go do this and anything that scares us it's our bad like we are crossing it because we feel something bad is going on it's not going after us but it might soon enough so we're going to go investigate like mike is a kid that carries a fucking lighter (laughs) i was gonna say this feels like uh no parental supervision the movie because there is a 13 year old boy handling a lot of shotguns yeah uh driving cars like, uh yeah it's very m- watching his brother hook up with a woman in the cemetery exactly. and then like when she takes her shirt off they cut to mike and he just does that kind of like yeah face. Well, mike, like, the funny thing is like his brother goes wow and then we hear mike go like what's kind of ridiculous is mike is so far away yeah the angle like, he couldn't see her breasts i don't know unless he's like Really, really focused. Or he's just it. like he's imagining because he can tell that she has taken her top off. He just can't see. It. Uh, yeah, but it's it's also it feels 
and it's this is not entirely a bad thing when you make it like I know we're gonna talk about the second film later but it feels as if like this is a person who's thought about this story for a long time all of it the details are so specific yes and it so it feels a lot like a novel yeah of sorts and the problem is having to do with the fact that there are these characters that aren't ex- explained but you know they play like a significant role like Coscarelli has he has backstories for everyone yes, in this because, movie because like there's a woman that wears a lavender dress who has apparently like sacrificed men in the past no, but she is the tall man because then they cut to the tall man whenever she kills so it's, it's like a that. form he can take Okay. Which I did see someone complaining because they said that in the subsequent sequels they dequeer Phantasm because like to them they were like that implied that uh, the tall man existed outside of like normal gender and sexuality and all of that. Okay, that's kind of lame to take that away unless they were just kind of like... I don't think it was a... I think there's a lot of ideas here that weren't... They were like that will look cool on film. Yeah. But they just didn't really think beyond like... Yeah, it's... it's that. It, it feels well thought out, but it doesn't feel like it's... There's something missing within the details. Like... This you want to know... You want a little more explanation when you get to the end of like, so what was that thing? What's going on? Like, but then at the same time, I'm like, but I don't want you to ex- over-explain. That's the thing, yeah. Explain? I think it's just... I want there to be more hints pointing me in multiple directions of what it might be but without ever like saying this is what's going on and uh i like it's also one of the concerns is like was this made solely in a vacuum with only certain amount of people allowed to put inputs oh i think i mean it was a very small production very low budget production but it makes you like wonder as to like how was the creativity behind it because at the end of there, it's like it's heavily male. It is oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's not, you know, it's not explicitly toxic. The it's women just, just don't have any sort of agency or roles. No, yeah, it's like there's nothing really interesting going on. There's like this whole thing in the first film where he's dropped off. I don't know if it's aunt's or some friend's house. That they're both like it's both women that we don't get any explanation. One of them, I think, is meant to be like uh, Jody's girlfriend or something, and her friend, like his girlfriend, runs a. It was either Jody or Reggie's girlfriend, and they run like an antique shop or something. Which I think it would probably be like Reggie's because it's like Jody would ha- would that would be implied that he was straight up cheating on his girlfriend. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like. Oh yeah, we never see Reggie fool around with anyone. Yeah. So. So... But yeah, that's the relationships between people isn't necessarily as clear as it should be. I want to bring up the one that I was like, what? (laughs) Whenever Reggie shows up at Mike and Jody's house and they kind of are like priming you for a jump scare. And then this um, older black woman just is there and he goes, oh, Myrtle, you scared me. Yeah, because she was like, how are you guys home? (laughs) And then Myrtle never appears again. No, never. She didn't appear in the beginning. What I found out is that was uh, Don Coscarelli's parents' housekeeper who he grew up with and asked her if she just wanted to be in the movie. And so I think the implication is there were more scenes with her, but they just got cut because he kept wanting to get it straight to the horror and kind of keep it focused there. Yeah. But yeah, it's stuff like that in the movie where you're just like, what? 
What yeah. is that? What are we not? We're not going to come back to that. Yeah, because it gets a little, it gets a little messy, like towards the end. Because one of the things that you can point out of it being messy is Reggie gets to Mike at some point, and he's like, "Hey, the girl. I managed to get all the girls out. There were a bunch of them. Like they're all in this room, and they ran away like scared rabbits." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and like the two friends that was like, they're fine, they're alive, they're go-, you know, and it's just like this scene that we didn't see yeah. that feels like it's supposed to be like a big deal, especially if Reggie is like playing a hero that you would have thought you like, want to have the hero moment rather than him telling us about the yeah, hero. Moment. Like at the least, like watching the girls leave and then going like, oh, I'm gonna go back in. Like at the least, a quick dialogue between him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend, like don't go back in there. And he's like, no. My best friend and Mike are still in there. I'm going to go in and check check it out. There's none of that. They're, we're immediately back into like boys are out there against the tall man. And then it fakes us out at the end. Like, it was, you know, uh, being grabbed and taken uh, away. And I feel, I feel like the amateurishness does lend some character and personality to the movie. So it's one of those, if it was a little slicker, and we'll kind of talk about how the second movie gets a little more professional and I think it loses some of the charm as a result. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a movie where things feel off, but in some way that like plays into how the making the movie work. Uh, so let's kind of talk about some of the different elements in the movie early on in the movie. Mike visits a, a fortune teller and her daughter or her granddaughter yeah, and then that girl, then that girl later on her own goes to the Morningside uh, mausoleum, like crypt place, and like goes right up to the door of the secret room, and she opens it up. We get an exterior shot. She screams. She's never seen or heard from again. The fortune teller's never revisited. Yeah, and, it, and there's an implication that she and her grandmother knew something about Mike. Like once he leaves. Oh, also, there's a, a moment that tells us that Coscarelli read and really liked Dune. Because, oh, yeah. Because the fortune teller makes a box appear out of nowhere on the table as she's giving his fortune, and he's told to put his hand inside of it. And he's like, it hurts, it hurts. And they literally say something like, fear is the mind killer. It's like, it's fear, kill it. Yeah. And I was like, ah, uh, okay. But like that. That's an element where I'm absolutely fascinated with it because it's sort of what were we meant to derive from that and what else was in the script or in his head that expanded on what we saw. Because why did she know to go to that room? Is the grandmother aware of who the tall man is? Is she a part of it? Like, but it's one of those where there's no answers. Calling that makes me wonder if that's, she's supposed to be like the same character as the second film. Because I don't. I wondered that two but the second film we'll talk about liz (laughs) we'll talk about the character of liz when we get to the second film and what a pointless character she is in that second movie but yeah that sequence with the fortune teller and the fortune teller's granddaughter i was just like i don't know what's happening here i like the way it looks though the look of that in the interior of that crypt of the mausoleum and the secret room, the way the secret room looks, I really like it. It feels alien. Yeah, it's also like this weird thing is like, so she's got a star painted on her cheek. And her grandmother has one on her forehead. And one on her forehead. No explanation. No explanation. They just have a connection where they're able to are like, be able to talk to each other. speak for her. Speak for her. And 
like they're reassuring uh mike that his brother isn't going to leave him but i think it's just supposed to be like well your brother's gonna die there was i was reading like the wikipedia entry on the first movie and there's a part that really confused the fuck out of me where it seems to be implying that the majority of the movie is supposed to be mike's inventive imagination about this whole thing because he doesn't want his brother to leave and he imagines the two of them teaming up against this evil in their town and i and i think that's what they're saying the ending is supposed to be like a twist it didn't feel like that to me i just was kind of confused about the timeline yeah but i felt like no this happened right because i mean there's a whole series of sequels so like what (laughs) that was very confusing because they both end in the same way where somebody grabs them from behind and they're pulled away out from like sucked out of wherever they're at so i think there is also that confliction of what happens when that occurs to you was there just like some epic battle that we were unaware of yeah because that time for them to escape yeah 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 we'll talk in the when we get to phantasm 2 about what we think happened in between the two movies uh so what did you think of the little people the little creatures in the movie um it's okay so they're they're clearly based on jawas from star wars there's so many layers to this because like there's little people that are trying to like grab them right but then there's like the fear the fears that seem like they just go after anybody right the the like the balls yeah the (laughs) the balls that go after everybody and there's like not a clear indication if like the tall man controls them because they go after him at some point because he's like in their vicinity. Yeah. And then um But like the little people are clearly working for the tall man. Yeah, and it's like this this thing of it being like once they pull their head hood back, it turns out like they could see who the person originally was. So yeah, it's like a it's people that were buried in the cemetery that the tall man then dug up. Yeah. And they've injected them with this weird, like, yellow liquid mm-hmm. that I guess reanimates the dead. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, at a certain point in this movie, the tall man gets a finger cut off at, by Mike. Yeah. And then Mike puts it in a box and it keeps bouncing around. Yeah. And this is when he finally, like, shows it to Jody. And, Jody, and this is what like, Jody's on board now. He's like, <laughs> he's something. Like, okay, with... yeah. Because when they <laughs> open the box, the finger has to turned into like a black flying insect with a humanoid third time they've opened it because the first time yeah. they, they just see a wiggling yeah. finger but it like, like morphs into this insect yeah yeah that kind of has a humanoid-ish face yeah and is like seemingly impossible to kill like uh, I, they imply at one point that they get it down in the trash compactor and just keep stabbing and they get it yeah but that was one of those like where what's going why why would his finger cut off from his body turn into an insect and it's never addressed by this movie or the second movie we never really get an explanation of what's going on with that uh just the scene they wanted in the film so (laughs) and, and in that way that does like sometimes you are kind of oh i want a movie to have its own internal logic and to be consistent other times and i feel like it works for this movie is this movie feels very dreamlike so the fact that things are happening that don't make logical sense it didn't really bother me that much yeah it was more just curious about what the director wanted us to take from it like the choice that yeah like why would you do that like what would be 
are we supposed to make some connection between like the insects that you know like devour dead bodies and it's hard to that feels like a stretch because the movie doesn't really give you more than that uh what did you think of angus scrim as the tall man very iconic cult 80s horror villain i mean he does what he needs to do like i feel like that is this is the role that he was like meant to play like there's nothing about him that i could be like oh you this you could have cast this as someone else it is a character that could you can understand why the look of it but at the same time you can almost like ignore him in the background which is perfect well because i mean he's like a funeral director yeah. so he's somebody that's used to being in the background yeah. but making sure things are going off correctly yeah his hair is a great choice i can't imagine this guy having a different hairstyle uh because it, it feels so like outdated yeah, it's like a person who found their style and just stuck to it. And it's not a style that many people would like. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a very odd choice. There's other people, like, there's a caretaker who doesn't have any dialogue, but shows up in the first half of the movie and, and gets, he's the first person to get killed by the sphere. Yeah. And that's a character where I wondered, is he working with the tall man? Because when he bleeds, it's real blood. So he's not one of he's the constructs. It, or like one of the resurrected dead he's normal size so he's not one of the little people like not one of the dead that he shrunk down yeah and so but he tries to stop mike and it was more like did he just stop mike because this kid's running around the mausoleum or is he aware of what the tall man's doing and working with him once again something that the movie never really explains to yeah, us it just kind of happens that <laughs> uh but once again, the dreamlike logic, it kind of works for me. Uh, what did you think of Reggie? Because he's kind of, I would say more than Mike, Reggie is really kind of the star hero of these movies, from what I can tell. Um, I mean, like, the thing is, like, with Reggie in the first film, he, it's, it's a, it's perfect ratio of how much you get Reggie, right? Like, Reggie is, like, there at the funeral, and then he just kind of, like, is there to hang out with, like, uh, Jody, bro uh, brother Jody, like they're playing guitar. They're both actors. original song written by Reggie Bannister, who plays Reggie. Yeah, and so like both can play the guitar. Just both seem like very laid back kind of people. Um, I do love how the moment that the whole thing of like the finger insect happens, he's just kind of like, "All right, guys, I'm with you. Let's go like, kill him." Yeah, yeah. He's not like no know. one ever freaks out more than like initial shock yeah once they've seen it and they're shocked they get over the shock and they're like fucking kill it yeah uh so yeah it's the, the the performances are very interesting you were pointing out i think there really is good great chemistry between mike and jody those oh, actors yeah, like it's it really does feel like a big brother little brother yeah really. especially because like when they showed the You know, you'd think he'd be like, okay, how how did you get this? Where did you get this? Um, it's just Mike going like, it's just Jody going like, well, I believe you. What are we going to do next? <laughs> and like, and when he becomes an insect, he's just kind of like, this is just my life right now. And it's supposed to be like, from my understanding is Jody was in the army at some point. Because yeah. everybody says, oh, you've seen action. So you must be bored with this town. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I am. 
and he's ready to like just ditch his little brother and he's like well, he's 13 now he should be able to go live with uh, with an aunt like and i love it he also says his aunt like i thought you guys were siblings <laughs> like... uh one thing that i think is an interesting perspective for the movie is it is really from mike's point of view yes and it's actually like a very bleak children's story kind of when you think about it because it's this kid who's being confronted with like violence and death and sex and all of it's really horrific and horrible. Mm-hmm. And then part of that is that by the end of the film, he loses his brother on top of having lost his parents already. Yeah. And it's not until we get to the second movie that the it then takes on this very apocalyptic tone. Yeah. And this is more like a haze or a dream that you're in it's almost like mike is waking up in the first movie and starting to see the truth about the world that he never saw before it's almost like he slipped into a depressive episode between his parents dying and then like his brother possibly leaving him behind only for his brother to die uh and and so i just think that's a very interesting angle on the movie is to think about it as it's a coming of age horror movie yeah with a very bleak ending uh i also think that uh you can see the influence this movie had on things like the evil dead which would come out two years later or i think a nightmare on elm street you think about the end of this movie and the, the arms kind of coming out of nowhere and grabbing people and pulling them very nightmare on elm street uh and i would even say like hellraiser to an extent yeah, especially like that silver or yeah, going and, after. And, then like, and it's a type of horror that's like not your standard movie monster. It's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I was did say while we were watching it that this felt like a horror movie made by stoners. Not in that they were like making fun of it, but it was like, no, they're taking it seriously. But they're just kind of like laid back stoners. So the vibe of the whole movie just it doesn't feel the way you would expect it to feel. Not. There is never a moment of them feel acting as if they're in over their heads. They all, yeah, they always they seem like they're gonna take care of it. Like we're just gonna take care of it. It might end up badly. It might end up fine. But it's also like this thing of it being like at one point, like the whole building disappears. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what the implication to me. Yeah, but then don't they go back, or like they're still being attacked? So it's like, yeah. But if the whole like funeral home disappeared, where were all the people that were involved? Yeah, it's like it, the thing that like if it could just up and go, like why didn't it just leave them be? Kind of, or if it's just sort of like, oh no, they they're gonna fuck up, they're gonna try to find us again. We might as well murder these kids. Well, we'll talk about uh, the continued adventures of Mike and Reggie when we come back from this break. And we are back. Years after surviving his encounter with the sinister tall man, Mike Pearson, now a mental patient, still has nightmares about the evil gaunt mortician. Upon being released from the institution, Mike and his friend Reggie set out to track down the tall man and end his murderous and macabre practices. Also involved is Liz Reynolds, a pretty young woman who has a psychic connection to both Mike and the tall man. So this film came out almost a decade after, nine years later. Uh, they recast Mike 
with the actor James LaGrosse, who is a character actor that's been in all sorts of things. Uh, I know him. He was like in Living uh, in Oblivion. I think we most recently saw him in that uh, Kelly Reichardt, Michelle Williams movie about the art school. He yeah. played a teacher in there. So he's an actor. If you look up James LaGrosse, you'll, you've seen him in something at some point. Yeah. Uh, I read the reason why a Michael Baldwin who played the original Mike was not present is he was going through this period of like spiritual discovery and had gotten very into like Eastern religion, like Buddhism and was like off on this spiritual journey and just wasn't available to be in the movies. Okay. And then he, and then apparently he comes back uh, with the third one and he's in the rest of them. Yes. He keeps showing up. So uh, there's a big time jump here. There's a big info dump at the beginning of this movie. Yeah, that... it's supposed to be, it was 10 years in reality, but it's supposed to be like six years. So yeah, it's supposed to be 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, just in general, what did you think of Phantasm 2 compared to the first one? Oh, God. So here's the thing. There's so much about it that could have been interesting and cool. There's lots of new stuff. There's a lot of new stuff in there, but at the end of the day, it just kind of falls flat in comparison to the first one. Um, so Liz has a psychic connection to Michael. And it's introduced in a really clunky, confusing way immediately yeah. when the it's movie like starts. She's like... She's ha- recapping the first movie for us. Yeah, she's having a monologue while she's looking through like a journal or a sketchbook of hers. And that she's drawn Michael like when he was younger and then draws like young, like 19 year old Michael. It's like she has his memories somehow. Yes. But there's no indication in the first movie that there's some girl that has a psychic. And link it's to like it. this weird thing of it being like, oh, they they grew up together. And um, but like psychically, I think, it's, not literally. Because yeah, her whole family lives in this small town in Oregon that they have Mike and Reggie eventually get to. Yes. And so um, it didn't help that the audio was terrible and we don't know if it was because of my laptop or if it was just one of those things in the film um, where we just got to the point that I was just like, you know what, fuck the dialogue. I'm just going to go with the vibes of the film because I can't understand what's going on. Uh, they have this whole sequence that once they're alone, they are mind speaking. So they're not like moving yeah. their mouths and just being like, I love you. And he's like, I love you too. Um, and there's... What would you say the purpose of Liz is in the movie? To be rescued? Yeah, she is so... She has no agency. She has no point to her character other than we want Mike to be motivated by something other than just revenge against the tall man. Yeah. So he's just... It's like, oh, I want to rescue her from the tall man. Yeah, and it's like... So there's a moment that, you know, Mike is being interviewed to be released from the, uh, like, the mental ward. (laughs) And that is another thing of, like, the audio that's driving me crazy because it's supposed to be he's talking and then mentally he's, like, thinking about other stuff. Because he's just saying whatever it is that they want to hear while he's kind of like, I got shit to do. I I gotta go Well, there's a lot of, like, whispering in the movie. Yes. At least in the opening of the movie because I think eventually it gets a lot better than that. Yeah. But in the opening, it's a lot of people going what am i supposed to do yeah and um so what is given to mike is a hot girl who already loves him and they don't do any relationship building um 
knows that he's telling the truth and knows that like eventually she's going to become endangered because she has premonitions right well then her grandfather dies yeah and yeah. then she's like oh, okay if like my grandmother and i had these like pre- like it's supposed she's basically a substitute for the girl with the star on the cheek yeah because it's supposed to be like her and her grandmother have this weird connection but her grandfather dying makes her mother like grandmother spiral right yeah but it's i think you're right in that there was a lot of allusions to the girl and her grandmother in the first movie but this is not the same character no because uh, yeah because of the way she and mike know each other yeah yeah it felt like somebody trying to take an idea that they didn't really flesh out to their satisfaction in the first movie and then try to like shoehorn it into the second movie and be like maybe this will work and then it's supposed to be that like uh so once mike is out of the mental ward like him and uh like reggie meet up and and like he's like talking to reggie and he's like can we just admit that what happened was real and it was not a dream? And it's also kind of confusing because if it's not a dream, then was Reggie lying to him or did Reggie not well, remember? But remember the opening of this movie, part of it, once we get through all of Liz's kind of like recap, it jumps to the very scene where Mike is attacked at the end of Phantasm. Yeah. And then it cuts down to Reggie, who's either wearing a wig or had his hair dyed. Uh, died and hit a lot of makeup yeah uh who and him downstairs in the house that night having to fight off the little people who show up and then eventually blowing the house up yep. which there's like i think three buildings get blown up in this movie. yeah and like he drags mike's body yeah. out. Of and of course mike. they obscure mike because they, that actor is too old and they don't have him so they like use the shadows to kind of hide his face but so like reggie has to remember that but then the way the the people in the psychiatric hospital are talking, it's this was clearly a delusion, Mike. And then when I would read read about the first movie on Wikipedia, the implication that like, oh, you're supposed to know that this is some sort of fantasy that Mike conjured up over worries about his brother leaving, which is not what I got from the first movie at all. So we're already off to a, a quite a rough start in Phantasm 2 because I'm just trying to get my bearings of so what happened? Yeah. What actually happened Go and going forward? But the movie does a lot of that, just kind of like brushing past little details we probably need to know in order to understand what's happening. Because once Reggie and Mike are reunited, Reggie has like a wife and like a whole family or something. Does? Yes, because they get blown up in Reggie's house. Okay. And he's like, he lost his whole family. He doesn't really react too strongly about it. I think that's why I'm like, really? Because well, he gets like, out of the car and is like, no, I can save them. And Mike is like, you can't, Reggie, you can't. And that, that's the extent of the grief. Uh, and from there, they imply that the tall man is like baiting them to follow him across the country. Yeah, And they keep going through places that have been decimated by the tall man and that's where the film really takes on this like apocalyptic tone where you're thinking like, wouldn't there be a larger number of people in the United States aware that something really bad well, is happening? Like, you know, a lot more cars on the street about like people trying to get another way. Or I'm also wondering, like, maybe it's supposed to imply that the tall man is preying on small places that no one pays attention to. Yeah. So he's able to get away with it more easily because it's not like he's going to a big city or anything. Yeah. Though we did see in the trailer for the final Phantasm movie, a giant sphere destroying a city with a laser beam. So they certainly ratchet up the stakes by the end of it. 
but yeah, it's they seem Coscarelli really seems to have had this. I want Reggie and Mike traveling across the country hunting the tall man. That's just the idea I have. And he didn't necessarily iron out all the details that get us from the first movie to this one. Yeah. And so we have a super clunky first act of a bunch of exposition that isn't clear enough. Yeah, because again, I watched the film with you. Yeah. And it's one thing that I did not understand that like he had a family and that they died because yeah. we didn't even see We him. says his family. We never see them. Which is Weird. But they mention it. Like they're, you could have at the least had like framed photos of him with like, uh, like his wife and kids, and then like at some point, like you know, Reggie telling Mike, "Man, I can't wait for you to meet." Like, like well, Luka. he tells him, "I'm bringing you home to my family." But at the, or like, but at the least being like, "Hey, I can't make, wait for you to meet like Jody Junior. I name him after your brother." Ha ha ha! Like that kind of stuff. It ha, was ha, just ha. Like, ha ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> like. But it's just sort of like, oh no, my family blew up in there, and there's like little to no mourning. It was like, all right, so we're just gonna go to like a warehouse, like a hardware store, take all their stuff, leave some money, and then go do the, uh, the well, thing. They certainly do a lot more of the like action heroes ready for battle kind of thing. Yes, and I could see now how the original could have influenced the evil dead and watching phantasm two, I'm seeing how Sam Raimi is influencing this sequel yeah, a lot. Because it's, they go right to it. And it's this funny thing. Is, Reggie is like a less charismatic Ash. Yeah. And like, it doesn't help that he also has a chainsaw at some point. Oh, so that the, was extremely loud. <laughs> we'll talk about the, uh, the chainsaw, but it the, was, like I didn't even really get a sense of how long they were on the road. It was until like they pick up a hitchhiker, and like alchemy, alchemy who call, uh, like goes by Kemi. Yeah, and um, who looks like a dead body that Mike saw in one, in of, one of the old yeah in a dream when he was in like a funeral home or something. Yeah, and it's and he's like you know we shouldn't bring her along like it's gonna uh, bring her in danger and he like Richie Richie is like straight up with just being like listen I'm horny. Yeah, like, that's pretty much what it is. It's sort of like oh it's just been a long time on the road, but she's also like twenty something and he's forty something. Yeah, like, the thing of it being like oh she's just gonna immediately go for you well, and it's not for the 19 year old it's clearly a movie written by an older guy who is like yeah i think she'd think i'm cool <laughs> and it's like with your you know jazz ponytail or whatever he doesn't have one that was the argument that we well, had it's, well, it's i think he gets a ponytail in the later movies and he had one in the first movie yeah so i think it's just more like it's supposed to be that since there's no other men she's just stuck with him yeah it's a very that's another end of days kind of feels nowhere is populated no everywhere is just like desolate because it's like they're like she hitchhikes with them says that her parents own a like uh like a bed and breakfast in the town that they happen to be going to yeah with the bed and breakfast or it's like uncle owns a bed and breakfast and it's when they get there it's all like boarded up and like decayed and all this yeah and then they are like okay we're gonna like set up all these traps to make sure you're safe and it's like this weird thing that i could almost understand like mike wanting to set up traps because he feels responsible for her or he feels paranoid about like the tall man he's just sort of like i've seen her like die i know that he's probably after liz when he also knows like they can get into your house because it happened before and like 
but Reggie is kind of like trying to like use it as a swarmy charm kind of thing. He's like, baby, nothing's going to hurt you. Not while Reggie's around. I want to talk about the Liz thing a little bit more. Because if I had been writing this movie, I would have just had Liz meet Mike when he shows up in her town and she's dealing with the tall man and she doesn't know what's going on. And he's like, I've dealt with this before. And then he gets to kind of info dump the first movie a bit. Yeah. That just seems like that would have made more sense. The way they do it with they have a pre-established psychic connection that was established off screen at some point that we were never aware of. To me feels like lazy writing. It also because it's I don't know how to write a couple falling in love with each other because we see that with Mike or sorry Reggie and Alchemy, where it's just like where all of a sudden it's like hey I'm going up to bed and then the like ridiculous sex scene that they have it was really bad sex scene it was I was meant to be funny but it wasn't like clever funny it was dumb funny you know old man probably can't handle a wild young sexy thing that knows what she wants and like oh that reggie he's uh, he's always horniness always getting him into trouble i think it's just it's like all right if you're going to have them have this psychic connection and that he has been in a mental ward before let him not be sure if she's real or not yes and then also let her be a little fucking weird because she's just so like calm boring. and like just like she's like kind of like okay this is just you know this is just gonna happen to me because i had my premonitions but i need to go check on my grandmother when something bad happens she's just sort of like no that's bad no and like and there's like, like a i think there was a priest that tries to help her out at some yes, point yeah and like we don't really get too much background on that priest. But he seems like he knows things are off. And like that would have been more interesting had like maybe you built a relationship between those two. Her and him having been like, okay, I think she's kind of like fucking crazy. Only for her him to realize, oh no, she's telling him the truth. Once he starts investigating more, and then tries to get her out because it's like, here's here's a an idea as we're gonna script Doctor Phantasm two, a movie that was made in nineteen eighty eight. <laughs> everybody wants to hear this when we remake we're not remaking the first one we're just gonna remake the second one. yes uh here, what think about this angle so father myers is the priest she lives because she's at the funeral home because her grandfather died and there's weird stuff happening with that she runs into the priest there who oversaw her uh grandfather's funeral yeah and he starts ranting to her about the the tall man who runs this place. He's got these little people. And, but we also have to watch out for the silver balls. Like he's explaining all the stuff from Phantasm 1 to her. And she's like, this guy has lost his <laughs> mind. Then she witnesses the priest get killed by the sphere. Then you have Mike show up like moments after that. And he is already knows everything that the priest was talking about. And that's where she's like, holy shit, this is real. Like what he said was real. Like, and it's that have that moment where like her mind is blown. And now all of a sudden the world transforms the same way it did for Mike. Like the connection thing, you could just be like, he appears in her dreams in some fucking weird way. And like the tall man is like in the background. Cause it's like they're communicating in their dreams, but I think it would have been better if it was just they're figures in each other's dreams who they don't interact with. Yeah. So then when they meet each other, they're like, you're, am I dreaming right now? Like, am I awake? Kind yeah. of a thing. And Which could further make Mike feel insane. Yes. Because well, he saw alchemy in a dream dead. And then he saw this person in real life. So even there, you you have like something that's foreshadowing for that character of Mike that he's going to see Liz in real life. Yeah. And so, but it's, 
having that psychic connection, I think is the worst element in the movie yeah. because it just doesn't, it doesn't help the rest of the elements of the film because in any way. Is this the, like, that she just, she's probably a character that only exists in this film. I don't know. I don't know if she shows up in Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead. Maybe next uh, October we'll watch 3 and 4 and we'll find out. Uh, so we get to the horror elements of it. Once again, Angus Scrim returns as the tall man. Yep. What did you think of him as the tall man here versus in the first movie? He's still great. There's just... I don't think he had enough. He didn't show up enough in the second movie. There's so many other things that they do. Yeah, he's not much in much of the movie. On. You're just only like you. You're only supposed to know that he's a driving element in it. I did like the creepiness that she had, like this, you know, pin or whatever that she strikes it through his finger, and he doesn't respond. He doesn't even chase her. He just licks the yellow blood off of it, like amused. But I, there should have been a bit more of him. So he has a bunch of lackeys in this one that are not yeah. like the little people are back. They clearly have a bigger budget because the makeup for their yeah, faces is better. On them versus just yeah. having dead people's faces. But then he has like there's a couple like people that work in the uh, mausoleum. They're like twins. There's a grave digger with an, a gas mask who seems to be connected to it. Yeah. But I noticed all of them bled real blood, like red blood. They didn't bleed like the tall yeah. man does. Or the little people do, which once again makes me wonder, how are these people involved with him? They're not dead based on what the the information the film has given me about yeah. what the dead are like and the reanimated dead. So what is the point of them helping? Yeah, like you kind of need someone to... Like what do they get out of this? Like why it is that they're doing this? Uh, I predicted and was correct. I was like, we're going to have a lot more of the sphere. And there's going to be multiple ones that do different shit. And I was exactly right. Instead of the original one has like two kind of uh, prongs that stick out of it. And that one's back. That comes out. Now we have like one that has a sort of drill that has jagged teeth yeah. around it. I forget what the other one oh, was. It's flame. flame. I, I predicted. I said one was going to shoot flames or acid or something. Uh, what did you think of the use of the spheres in this movie compared to the first one do you think the first one didn't use it enough or do you think this one used it too much uh it's hard to say because like i would take one less sphere if i got more tall <laughs> <laughs> so the the phantasm exchange rate is can i give you back one of these one of these devil spheres in order to get another thing with the tall man is that yeah. okay okay uh but yeah, it's the, the gore effects. They have gone a lot more full bore into those. Oh yeah, there's like if, so like, much blood. Called it, I would not remember. There was like some stuff in there that you're just like, oh my god. Well, one of the spheres like gets inside one of the morticians and just is like gnawing its way well, through it him. Like, a, like this fucking animal comes. Like when Mike and Reggie are like in one place that they've already gone through. Like, it's supposed to be, like, the tall men went through. They find a woman, and they're like, oh, we're going to help her. And then they take off the cloak. Well, it's Liz. Like monster. Okay, that's another thing, yeah. So it looks like Liz. Yeah, there's a lot of blondes in this room. No, no, it's Liz. It's the same actress. Okay. And but... she, because I I, read, I went to the Wikipedia entry just to confirm, because I was like, that was her, right? And it's, yes, Liz appears as an apparition, because he recognizes her when he sees her. And then when he pulls the sheet off, her back is missing, and there's, like, a creature living on the spine. Yeah. And then they just run away. They've set her on fire. Yeah, yeah. And it's – but we don't know, like, what is that creature? How does that 
creature come to be here? Like, is this a thing left behind by the tall man? It's, it's, Why does this not look like anything else that he's it's, he's employed? Say like, okay, apparition, little monster thing. I think it's supposed to be this whole thing of the tall man taunting him, but there's also a problem of like Mike shows no hesitation. He's like, <laughs> he's like, that's not my girl. <laughs> my girl would never get. Yeah, no one's really emotionally affected no. by seeing people die in this movie. <laughs> very much like oh, okay i guess i gotta go uh, like get my revenge uh we brought up the chainsaw earlier so reggie has a chainsaw sword fight with the gravedigger i think i don't know if was that supposed to be comical because one yes had like a bigger chainsaw than the other like dicks yeah because i mean the thing was like reggie pulls out his chainsaw and then the gravedigger reaches over and the blade of that chainsaw just keeps going and going and going mm-hmm. And then Reggie's, of course, his reaction is sort of like, ah, shit. And he gets, he's screwed, of course. But he fights his way through it because it's Reggie and he's not, they're not going to kill him off. Uh, And it feels like the comedy of the film is a lot more played up than it was in the first one. The first one seemed to take it a little more seriously. And it's kind of hard because the problem is you can't, you, I don't know if I could read it clearly as comedy because they are playing it sort of deadpan. But like things like that sword fight, like there's little yeah. funny moments yeah, yeah, yeah. that are meant to kind of cut through the tension. At the same time, it's still one of those where it feels like a middle school boy going like, this is fucking like badass, okay? <laughs> this is badass. What's happening? That's what I felt about like Liz and Mike's relationship. This was the, a middle this school was, boy, yeah. Yeah, it's like so. Like, there's gonna be the girl, and me and her are gonna like talk mentally. We can do mind speak, and she's gonna be like so fucking hot. And she's gonna love me, and I won't have to do anything to make and, her like, love me. The thing is, like, <laughs> she's gonna understand everything I went through. I'm not gonna have to like ch- like tell her. I won't have to share my emotions because she just knows them. And like, she's gonna be like so fucking hot and understand. Like, I'm like I'm a cool dude, but like really boring and not of a personality <laughs> of her own. And so I can put my personality. Yeah. Her. <laughs> uh what did you think of the pacing of this movie because i felt the first half got was way too slow yeah i think it was just not good when you compare it to like the first movie right away they're already introducing horror elements and they're cutting they're doing a great job of balancing like the character stuff and then building that tension towards whatever's going on at morning side and so you're you're hooked in both things in the first movie. You you're interested in getting to know these characters more and you're also with them and wanting to find out what's going on, what's really going on. Yeah. Here there's a lot of exposition telling us at the beginning of the tall man is taunting us, he's leaving a trail for us instead of us watching them discover that, which would be a much more interesting thing of them being like finding things and it not making any sense and then them having this moment of he wants us to come to him. Yeah. Like, and then, like, should we go to him? Should we run the other direction? Like, at some point when they go into one of the small towns, like, there should have been at least one or two people. Like, have an old lady that used to, like, do the administrative shit and just be like, no, this, like, funeral home just appeared out of fucking nowhere. But everyone acted as if, like, we've been using it for years. But I knew Well, she's like, I didn't remember it had never been here until it disappeared. And then I realized that it yeah, yeah, that like, came out of nowhere. Because it's just, it's so... It's a weird thing because having we lived in a small town and it would be such a bizarre thing for a new building to show up 
or like a new funeral director to come in and just be such a powerful influence on the community. Yeah, it'd just be like, this is, you know, this is where everybody's funeral is going on. And you'd probably be like, what? This, and like, especially because within the States, there's so many buildings, especially that type of building that they show. When it's so specific because of like the crematorium and all the it's, things you need. It's yeah. Huge, first of all. Oh, it's yeah. Fucking huge. Gigantic. And it's just like, but it's also the style of that building is not a, a style that you see in every state. So it would have been like interesting had it been like, oh no, when it shows up at, like you were saying, everybody's kind of like, no, it's always been here. Well, because I mean, when it leaves, like people are just like, oh wait, no, what the fuck? Because <laughs> I mean, and based on what we know about the tall man and his minions, you could easily go like, oh yeah, when he shows up, they're able to like sort of broadcast some sort of signal that scrambles people's brains and they don't notice the odd things that are happening. Yeah. And so for some reason, you know, only Mike and Reggie can see through it or Liz because there's something different about the way their brains work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, there were certain things that were still like great moments in the movie. We were talking at the end when it was over and you're like, there's still great shots. Like there's, the secret room in the funeral home looks fantastic on yeah. film. It is a great looking set. It looks alien and weird. And the way they drip feed you information in that room is always so good because it's just enough that you're like, I I'm willing to come back for more if they're going to give me a little bit of more information. Uh, what did you think of the ending of this movie? Because they kind of repeat part of the first movie's ending with an added element involving Reggie. Yeah. And then a reveal about alchemy. Yeah, I like I thought it was kind of weak sauce. I kind of saw it coming. Yeah, it was just kind of like okay, no, like Kimmy is going to die and like when they're like, "Oh yeah, we got away, babe. We got away." And it was just like, "Okay." Already you can see like you're like, "Oh, she's going to turn out to be evil or already possessed." And then like and then towards the end, they just copy the same thing. But it's like, it's Liz and Mike get sucked out. And you're just kind of like, okay, like, just ex explain. <laughs> I think it would have been cool if Alchemy had turned into the tall man as a reference to the first movie and the yeah. woman in Lavender. Because then it would be like, oh, shit, why didn't we see this the whole time, right? Like, she was trying to seduce Reggie. That's what the woman in Lavender was doing in the first movie. So it's it, there's places where I feel there were missed opportunities that I would have just gone, that'd be a great way to like connect it back to the first movie. So these feel like, you know, more cohesive. But yeah, I would say not as good as the first movie. Yeah. But still not a terrible movie. Not when you think of like 80s horror movies, this is one of, I mean- I would never want to sit down and watch all of the Friday the 13th movies. That shit bores the fuck out of me. Yeah, I think the thing about it that makes it work is that like Reggie and Mike are solid characters. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that you want out of them if you've already watched like really good like horror or even emotional acting, but you kind of have a sense of who they are right mm -hmm. and i thought it was kind of amusing when they were like doing their little montage of showing them get ready i was joking with you being like so when mike was in the mental ward <laughs> did they teach him how to do all this stuff <laughs> because right. i know like he would be familiar with guns because of his brother but he's like he's they he's make like a, they have like a makeshift like <laughs> welding weapon kind yeah. of thing yeah uh it's also a movie where 
because the the horror elements are so unique to this franchise, that's another thing that just kind of hooks you because you really can't predict what they're going to encounter or what's going to happen. And it's like because of the different layers, there are some layers that are just there to fuck shit up, not caring like who's in charge. Like the feet and the, the, the spheres. Like the spheres go to like apparently they, attack anybody. Yeah, they just seem to be set to like kill whatever crosses their yeah, path. Yeah, so it doesn't care if the tall man's there. It doesn't care if like it's someone else. It's just sort of like it's a warm body. We're gonna go fuck it up. And then it's I wish they'd done a little bit more with like the little people that they had. Yeah, the second movie, the little people kind of disappear after because a bit. Because the thing is, like in the first film, I thought it was more interesting to have them still have their faces. Because in this film, it's supposed to be like, oh, Liz's grandmother grabs her, and she only reason that Liz recognizes her because she's saying her full name. And there would have been more interesting if like there was hesitation of being like, oh, I don't want to grab my kid, like my granddaughter, but I have, there's something like forcing. And that could be something like the tall man uses in his favor is, oh, he's going to make sure it's dead people that you know. So you're going to hesitate to kill. Yeah, them but this time they had a higher budget. So like they had these masks. And the only reason that Elizabeth oh, slash Liz knows that it's her grandmother is because of the way that she said her name. And, well, and I also think the first movie one of the things that I liked about it, and I think added to that kind of bleak theme of the film, was when the tall man explains to Mike, where he's like, when you die, you think you go to heaven. And he goes, but you come to us. And which is a very bleak thing to sort of realize like, oh, when I die, I'm not going to go into some sort of afterlife or even just the atheist belief of just you're just dead and there's nothing you're going to forcibly be reanimated and turn into a slave for eternity, I guess, and do evil things to people you love. Like, Which is fucked up considering we live in a capitalist society. Yeah. It's already slaves and so to some degree. That's one of the things that I kind of like about this franchise is it does feel like the end of the world, kind of. It yeah. feels that it's the fringes of America because a book I had read, Hinterland, which I think I might have talked about one of our what we've been reading uh, episodes, very good book that came out this year, which is all about the sort of forgotten small towns in that middle part of America where, you know, you don't even pass through them because there isn't even an interstate nearby. Right. Uh, and so this feels like a horror film that's taking place in those places. Yeah. Which adds to it because it's just, oh, yeah, it could be going on and you wouldn't know if you didn't live in those places. Yeah. Uh, would you recommend to our audience to check out Phantasm and Phantasm 2 if they've never seen these movies before? I feel like yes, because if you want to at least see what – if you are the type of person that loves horror and want to see like what has influenced other stuff, this is a great thing to watch. It's something that feels like – it does feel like a project that was made with love. But just because it was made with love does not mean it made with <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not flawless. There's a yeah. lot of flaws. Uh, but it still, it feels like such a specific idea. Yeah. That if you're someone who really likes exploring a world that you're not familiar with, where you can't guess all the tropes and things, that are plot beats, like it's a fun movie in that way, I think, yeah. both of them.
that was the Pop Cult Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and make sure to check out our show notes for relevant links to anything we might have brought up, including our website, popcult.blog. Also, subscribe wherever it is you listen to this podcast so that you'll be notified when new episodes are posted. We'd also encourage you to visit popcult.blog because there's a lot more reviews and things to read over there. Uh, Currently, because we're in October, we're doing a whole horror series. We're about to wrap up a series of reviews of the Insidious franchise. Uh, Tomorrow, I'll be posting my review of the most recent film, this year's The Red Door. And then later this week, I'll be posting reviews of the Dutch horror film The Vanishing, as well as the sequel to the classic Hitchcock film Psycho 2. Uh, And this was, of course, the first of three episodes that we're doing dedicated to horror in October. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll be back with an episode where we're going to be reviewing the uh, Little Shop of Horrors film as well as The Faculty. And then the Sunday after that will be our big Halloween spooktacular. We hope that if you enjoy our podcast and our website, you'll think about supporting us on Patreon. We have lots of different reward levels for you to pick from. I want to thank our current patrons, Morphine, who donates at the sneak preview level, and Becca and Matt, who donate at the writer's room level. If you donate at that highest level, you'll get to pick one film uh, every month for me to watch and review, and you can even include your own comments if you so wish. Also, no matter what level you subscribe to our Patreon through, you will get access to exclusive podcasts that are only available there. And starting next week, we'll be doing the first episode of Screenplay, which is Ariana and I working together to play a GM-less co-op tabletop role-playing game. And our first episode was just going to be a lot of world building and figuring out what kind of a story we want to tell, what we want this game to be. We hope that you will be there to listen as we play. Well, until next time, you keep listening and we'll keep watching. 